last week we, um, some of these were passed out. They were in your pews as well. I don't know if you got one or didn't get one last week. If you weren't here last week and you didn't get one of these cards, um, there are some out in the foyer there on that um, on that table. And if you want one, like right now, you can either go get one or raise your hand and we'll get one to you. But essentially what this card is, is it's like the, the, the card for the series type of thing. Um, uh, the first of the year or the first kind of few weeks of every calendar year, we kind of do a, a little bit of a rehash of what Conduit's mission is, the vision of the church, and our core values, something that can kind of serve once again as a, as a north, somewhat of a north star, right? If you take the idea of a north star, it, it helps to provide, uh, it helps to provide direction when the, the rest of the things around you are chaos inducing and produce a lot of, a lot of noise, all right? So these, these cards they have our mission on uh, Conduit's mission, Conduit's vision, and Conduit's core values. And then um, what we did on the back was provide some, uh, provide some ideas for, provide some ideas for you as you're, as you're uh, in your quiet time throughout the year, as you're praying for uh, various things in your life, like some ways that you can pray specifically for your church, that you can pray for Conduit, all right? Um, and and we, we covet your prayers. We ask for your prayers regularly. Please include us in your prayers. Please include all of these things in your prayer. And then a blank spot on the bottom of the card for you to maybe add any prayers that you feel like the Lord is leading you to pray um, as we go through this series. We tried, to, we tried to make it a convenient size to fit like in the cover of your Bible um, so that you can keep it there throughout the year. And remember to be praying for us. Okay? Um, so today we're going to be uh, we're going to be talking about the the aspect of the kind of like the core documents or the core statements. If you have, have like mission and you have vision and you have core values, what are the distinguishable features of these things? Like really, okay, we always hear them. We always hear oh the mission, the vision, things like that. But what's the difference? Like what's the difference? Why does it? Why, why, why are there, why, why do you, why do you state them differently, or why are there different categories, and what is different about this, and it's different about this, and that's important, it's an important question, and I hope to be able to give you a little bit of, um, a little bit of that information this morning, okay? Uh, so when it comes to what, what the vision is, right, well, we'll say, uh, first what, what our vision here at, at Conduit is. Our, our vision, it should be up on the screen for you, our vision is to see wholeness and redemption in our homes, in our churches, and in our cities. And we say cities because Conduit is a regional church. Not all of you live in Jamestown, right? Some of you live in a different state, okay? Um, some of you live in a different county, right? And so we believe that the vision of a place that, uh, or a community that is built like that should be more than just the city that we're in, but the cities that we are in. And, and what does it mean to seek or to see wholeness and redemption in our homes and our churches and our, and our cities? Well, it looks like some of these things. It looks like the, the healing and the restoration uh, in families, in family units, it looks like a, a unified awakening in the body of Christ as a 
whole, the big C church, this church, and Kidder Church up the hill this way, and Hillcrest Church up the hill that way, and Bemis all the way out on the other side of the lake, or uh, churches in Mayville, or down in Warren, right? A unified awakening of the, uh, of the, of the Holy Spirit breathing life and, and transformation power into those communities, and seeing that transformation power spread uh, throughout the areas in which those churches minister. To see socioeconomic revival in our, in our cities. To see a release from bondage caused by addiction and mental illness in these areas. And finally, to see the peace of Christ, the peace of Jesus Christ, the peace that the community of Jesus has to reign over hostility and violence in the world. Now, if you're anything like me, you look at things like that, and you, you look at statements like that, and you can, you can recognize, and you can identify, maybe personal examples, or personal experiences even, or at least you have the, you have the discernment and the wherewithal to see how Things like this have are either are adversely affecting life in general, or maybe adversely affecting your life or your community or your, your churches or someone that you know. Maybe you maybe you know someone who is deeply in the throes of addiction, and your heart breaks for them, and you don't know how to help, and you don't know what to do. Or maybe you um, maybe you're you're seeing the the gradual disillusion of churches and faith communities in the area and it, and it, and it hurts your heart and you're there's kind of like this quiet holy spirit desperation about it and you don't, but you don't know you don't know what to do and you don't know you don't know how to be a part of the of the solution rather than rather than just talking about the problem or maybe you're seeing um, maybe maybe you're seeing families like being um, the crumbling apart and like for hope for the, the Holy Spirit to, to, to bring wholeness and redemption to that and see the glory of God revealed in those situations. But you just don't know what to do and you don't know. You see the problems, right? But there's almost this, like I, I call it, paralysis by analysis, right? You see the problem and you know all, you, you know all about it. You might know the problem super, super well. But because of the scope of the problem, there's this, like, freeze. You don't know how to even move. So why would something like this be called a vision statement? Well, the language that we use here at Conduit, maybe it's different other places, but the language that we use here at Conduit in order for us to kind of wrap our minds around stuff like this is that the vis vision is a picture of a preferred future. You think of vision that way, like, oh, I had a vision, all right? And the, the way that we use vision is we use it to describe the, the picture of a preferred future. If we, could, if we could describe the preferred future for the Jamestown area, the cities surrounding us, the, the, the reality and culture of your family or your home, the reality and culture of churches all around the area if we could if we could give a picture of a preferred future we would we would say hey man it's going to be free of things like addiction and mental um 
mental illness. Like the, the family units are going to be whole and strong and glorifying to God. That, that from a socioeconomic standpoint, right? Like everyone is going to have exactly what they're going to be needing. You're not going to see like buildings. But you, you know where there are no like empty storefronts? Heaven. You know where people don't go hungry? Heaven. You know, you know where people don't have needs like that? Heaven. Right? And so when Jesus taught his disciples, when, when the disciples were like, hey, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And he was like, okay, pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, and thy will be done. On earth, where? As it is in heaven. Right? And so part of the very basis upon which Jesus taught the disciples to pray was to make the reality of heaven be here on earth. Right? And so, and so part of our preferred future is to see the reality of heaven come crashing to earth in such a significant way that the same things that we expect to experience and see in heaven are what we are experiencing and seeing now. That is a picture of a preferred future. But if we were take a, if we were like to um, if we were to like to dust off the overt spiritual optimism of what it means to be a Jesus follower, I think we would we could all come to this place of being like, uh, Pastor, I'm not sure you understand how big these issues really are. And in some cases, I think maybe you're right. You know, like, yeah, I maybe don't understand perfectly every situation, shockingly, right? And then I think that there are some things that, you know, like, yeah, I understand pretty well. And I've been doing ministry long enough and in the same area for long enough and living in the same area my entire life to kind of know maybe even underlying issues of what is going on. But it doesn't really, like, how much can we all actually know? And so when we come to a, a situation like this or issues that we can all see and we can all describe, we can all say, yeah, that kind of defines the brokenness of what this area is experiencing. One of the questions that we often, um, that we often come up against when we, when we list a vision like this is we, like there's like, well, geez, pastor, those are like really big, giant seemingly impossible aspirations. What do you mean, like, socioeconomic revival? We're what, like, what, what are you talking about, like, release from the bondage of mental illness and addiction? What, what are you talking about, like, a unified awakening in the body of Christ or the peace of Christ to reign over hostility and violence? How, Pastor, how can a whole city... How can a whole region, how can, how can all of that be truly turned around, truly changed? How can we actually see a, a demonstrable difference in the reality of life? How, how can large, complicated issues like, like addiction and mental illness and broken families ever possibly be addressed? How? I will tell you that the short answer 
and I don't mean this flippantly at all, the short answer to that question of how can these things ever be addressed is the gospel. That's the short answer. It's also the long answer, right? It is the answer. And, um, and, and that's the trumpet that we will, we will always blow into here from this stage, right? What is the answer to addressing super large, complicated issues that, that weave their way throughout the entirety of society and, and culture and our homes and our churches and, and, and our region? The answer is the gospel. It's always been the gospel. It will always be the gospel. Anything, anything that is built on a foundation that is not the gospel will eventually erode and fade away. That is, in essence, the short answer, but I'm, not, I'm, I'm also like, there, there are long answers too. And that's kind of what I want to talk about this morning. is Because the short answer is easy to talk about, the gospel. Like, the long answer is a little bit more difficult to talk about because um, in general, we all want the short answer to work. We want the short. We, we, we've been taught that the most effective way to 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 fix a problem is well the the shortest way, the shortest distance between any two points, right? The quicker we can get it fixed, the better. But the long answer is this: is that as a community of faith, as people who believe and follow in Jesus, as those who who call themselves conduit, we must understand that it takes that it takes a generational perspective rather than an immediate fixed perspective to address these issues. If we're going to take if we're going to take seriously the vision that we have to see families restored or mental mental illness and addiction broken or socioeconomic revival. Um, Come or the, the body of Christ being being awakened by the Holy Spirit or or peace to to peace to rule over hostility and violence that we then we must have more than just an immediate mindset we must be thinking generationally. The problem that we often come up against is this problem though, um, or something similar to this is like if we don't fix this problem or this issue right now then we are failing. Then we're not doing enough. If we don't see resolution to this thing in our lifetime, in fact, if we don't see resolution to this thing according to our five-year plan, then we have failed. Then we have not done enough. That somehow we are missing the mark. Listen, just as, you know, from time to time, <laughs> from time to time, we will have someone visit this church. Maybe, maybe it's one of you, right? I've, I have these conversations kind of more than I can legitimately remember, right? From time to time, we'll have someone come visit this church, and they'll worship with us, or they'll be here for a service or something like that, and they'll come up to me after the service, and they'll be like, you know, Pastor, my mom and dad, or... I was a kid when this church building was built. And I remember the big giving campaign that came from this church. You know, this church was built because the, the congregation that, um, 
that resided here outgrew their current building, which is over off of Baker. And, 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 and this church was, this church came about from like the, the fruit of years and years of faithful leadership and mission and evangelism within the city. And it's so interesting to hear the stories of people who grew up as little kids in these hallways or remember the time period where, um, where they're like, the building was was growing, and then they put they, they built the building, and then they had to put an addition on, right? And all of these tremendous stories. And I think it it provides for us a moment of pause and perspective that that we need to remember to embrace as we pursue what we believe is God's vision for the area and for us as a church is that just as people before us laid a foundation for the fruit that we now get to experience, so so must we lay a foundation that we may never, ever get to build on. The question when when we talk about and we look at really big issues like this is that is is do we do we want to experience just the fruit? Or, or do we want to cultivate in our lives, communally and individually, cultivate what it takes to create fruitfulness? Because most of us just want f- the fruit, right? I mean, naturally, Right? We would, we would love it if the seed went in the ground day one and day two we were eating the fruit. But the reality is, is that the seed goes in the ground and sometimes lays fallow even for a generation before fruit can be, fruit can be um, picked, eaten, and enjoyed. And there is somewhat a culture even within church life of orienting our lives, our programs, our ministries around ensuring that we recognize the problem, that we create the solution for the problem, that we plant the seed for the problem to, be go, to go away, and then we get to eat the fruit because that's what feels good for us. But it's not necessarily what is always best nor is it necessarily always what God really has called us to. You see, sometimes, I mean, like any, any person who has, if you have kids, right, or if you, you have grandkids, you, you maybe understand this, right? That the fruit of your own spiritual life, the, the fruit of your own, um, spir- your own example, right, will be a fruit that will be that you may never get to see as your kids have kids. It's not always immediate. It's not always immediate, nor was it ever necessarily meant to be immediate. You look at a long list. Could I have that um, list back up of the things with the vision, please? I think it was the, the very first slide. Um, you look at a list like this, 
and you look at like 200 people that are in this building today or so, and you'd be like, okay, well, let's get started. Or let's get started. Another question then becomes the old, the kind of the the old saying: How do you how do you eat an elephant? If this represents a spiritual elephant, if this represents a strategic elephant, if this represents an organizational elephant, or if you think of it, we use the term the um, how we've been talking about like building a foundation, maybe that. That, that others someday can build on. How about, we lay, how about we begin to lay a foundation, right? Anyone ever lay a block foundation? Every block foundation starts with what? The first block. One block. And then once you lay one block and you have it set, then, then what can you do? You can lay another one. And then you can lay another one. But you've got to lay one first. You can't lay 30. You must lay one, and you must lay it correctly. Now the, now the foundation that we have been building is the foundation of that the gospel changes everything. Right? Remember, that's the short answer. And so, and so we're working to make sure that we sow into each and every one of our lives, and each and every one of your hearts, and into your homes, and into your families, and into the church, and into the culture, and into the city, that it really is the gospel that changes all things. It, it, that is the, 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 the chief cornerstone is Jesus Christ. But when it comes to this, we must understand that if there was only one, if there was only one bite to take or one block to lay, if, if right now you and I were, were, were charged with the job of laying one block towards the foundation of seeing these things realized, what would that one block be? We all want to jump to what the program is that helps everyone out of mental um, illness or addiction. I get it, right? Because that's where we see the fruit, and it's exciting. But, like, stop for a second, back up, and say, okay, what is the one block? What is the one block that I'm responsible for? My personal wholeness, my personal redemption, and the revival of my own heart. All of these things are contingent upon my personal revival, my heart's ongoing transformation into someone who lives like Jesus loves like Jesus, and serves like Jesus. But we, like, we got to start programs, and we got to start ministry, and we got to get funding, and we got to do... Agreed. Agreed. You also have to be willing day in and day out to surrender your own will to your own Savior so that, so that the condition of your heart is ripe for the fruitfulness of God to overflow into things like that. Otherwise, you have just a bunch of diseased people creating diseased programs and diseased symptoms that end up being more part of the problem than they are of the cure. This is actually the what you could, would consider to be the organic model or the 
the Jesus model. I'm going to show a, a graphic up here that we hope that tries to, at least in some ways, explain or show um, the, 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 re, the reality of this, of starting with my own personal heart, right? And then going outward from there. I have my heart, right? It's here. And, and, and God is actively working. I'm, I'm in participation with the Holy Spirit to see the, my, my heart transformed. I'm repenting of my sin. I'm asking, for, I'm asking for the Word of God to transform my affections and my desires and my words and my, and my thoughts because it is then in my heart that overflows into my family, right? And, and I, can, I can love the people around me best when my heart is turned towards fullness in the Holy Spirit. And then... And then it gives me then it, then it gives me me room to be to be a blessing in my church and in my community and that gives me room to be a blessing in my in my city and my and then my region and then the whole and then the whole world. But what we often want to do is switch the order, right? And we want to put the world in the middle and be like, let's solve all the problems of the world when we have a sin issue here, right here. Because you know. It's scary. Working really hard on a large scale to solve lots of big problems is a fantastic distraction from the conviction of the Holy Spirit to transform you. And it happens, you know, you know who, the be- who, who are the best at that? pastors, spiritual leaders, right? Man, I work for Jesus every single day, right? Every day, just working for Jesus, right? I'm just, I'm, I'm just in the Spirit, right? You can get so busy working in ministry. You can get so busy working for Jesus. You can get so busy volunteering at the church. You can get so intertwined into the, into the organic life of your small group that you can forget that Jesus really, like, he gives a rip about your heart, right? And all of those things are very convenient distractions for what God is trying to do in you, but you're so, you're so busy working for Jesus that you're not allowing him to work in you. Jesus understood this kind of like, this kind of organic method of like starting super small and getting that like on lockdown and then allowing the overflow of what is happening in the interior life to affect what's happening on the exterior. He did this first with the, with the disciples and with, this, with his own like personal relationships, right? If you read the Gospels at all, you'll read like, for instance, Mark chapter 6, verse 30. Starting at verse 30, you see this, um, you see this instance where Jesus had about 5,000 people following him, right? And, and what you don't often see in the Gospels, but what we know from some of the historical accounts of that time, and if you, if you, if you track the, the narrative throughout the Gospels, you will, you will see that Jesus almost always had a large crowd of people following him. And by large, we mean in the thousands, they wanted to see miracles. They wanted to experience miracles. Jesus had a habit of feeding them because they were hungry. Jesus had a large following of people, right? Now, could Jesus be 
the super intimate Jesus that he was with, say, Peter with the 5,000? No. Is it because he loved them any less? Absolutely not. But there was a practicality about the, the mission as a whole that was going to expand beyond Jesus' like, geographical place there. And so he, so he knew he had to have a different mindset than just like, oh, I'll use the 5,000 to change the world now, right? And so Jesus had the 5,000, for instance, in Mark chapter 6. Or in Luke chapter 10, we see that he had a kind of a smaller group within that 5,000. It says there were, there were one time where Jesus sent out 72 and he sent them out two by two. They were, go, they were to go into the neighboring towns and village, and they were to preach repentance, and they were to heal the sick, and they were to cast out demons, and they were to, and they were to feed those who were hungry. And most of them came back and been like, oh, Jesus, that was, that was intense, and we're not ready for it. But even inside that 72, that wasn't Jesus' intimate focus, right? Then Jesus had 12, the 12 disciples. Right? The Peters, the Jameses, the Johns, the Nathaniels, the Thaddeus, right? All of these, all, all of these guys that he had brought. Okay, all right, guys, let's, let's get together. Let me disciple you. Walk with me in the course of my ministry. Let me pass on the Spirit of God to you. Let me teach you. Let me, uh, allow me to be an example. And so there was 12, but beyond that 12, there was what? There was even a smaller group, and that smaller group was the three, Peter, James, and John. We see in the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus was like at really at his mental, emotional, physical, spiritual breaking point, knowing that he was on his way to the cross. He was going off to pray, and he said, Peter, James, and John, please come with me and pray with me. My soul is anguished even to the point of death. He didn't share that with the 12. He didn't share that with the 72. He didn't stand up in front of the 5,000 and been like... Guys, I got a little bit of issue going on here. Please pray for me. No, it was here, interior life. But even then beyond that, it's interesting is that, is that Jesus didn't even take Peter, James, and John into the interior life of his prayer, intimate prayer in that very moment. He left them there, and then it says he went off a little further, and he engaged with his heavenly Father. Lord, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. They say, I'm scared. I don't want to do this. If, it's, if there's any other way, Lord, can we please make it that way? But I'll do it if you need me to do it, Lord, but I don't want to. That, that Jesus, when, when, when everything else had been stripped away, when all of the community was gone, like when he was all, everything got distilled down to this one thing, his relationship with his heavenly Father. It all came down to that. Like a funnel, right? But it wasn't even just with his relationships, like his interpersonal relationships. It was always, it was also, it also represented Jesus' strategy for mission. After he was gone, okay? Jesus had, Jesus had died. He'd been resurrected from the grave, Right? And then he began to appear to his disciples. And it, it would seem, like we talked about this a little bit, um, that the last words of anyone are usually, uh, they're pretty important, right? They, they hold some weight. 
And so, and so when Jesus was appearing in his resurrected and glorified self to his disciples um, after his, his resurrection, like the things that he had to say to them about what was next seemed to be, or you would, you would sense that they would be very important. And of course, in Matthew chapter 28, there was the Great Commission, right? Go into all of the world. Teach them everything that I have taught you. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But, but even Jesus understood that there, was a, that there was a strategy, not of, hey guys, go take over the world. Go do it. But there was an understanding of like, hey, first things first. First you get filled with the Holy Spirit the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. Your personal lives are transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit within you. And then what was, what was the proclamation of how they were to go out and, and carry on this big, audacious, like overwhelmingly large, there's an elephant in the room type of, type of plan. Yeah, go save the world for Jesus. Okay, okay. no pressure. Not big at all, right? It says in Acts chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by His own authority. Listen, first things first, right? Interior of our hearts, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And then you will be my witnesses. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, a quick skim of that may think, well, hey, Jesus is just telling you, know, like, hey, go to all these areas and just be, be my witnesses. But listen, these are not just like little towns around the area that these are disciples in. These are, these are regions. Anyone have one of those Bibles that's, that's got the maps in the back of your book? back of the Bible, if you go to those maps around the, like, the Jesus ministry map of your Bible, you will see something interesting. Is that Jesus was speaking not about these little towns, right? But where they were first. Where were they in this moment? They were in Jerusalem. Go be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Here, in this place. This little place that you're in. Be a witness here first. And then, I want you to go to Judea. Now, Judea was a region, okay? It was the region in which Jerusalem was found. So it would be like, it was like the, count, it was like the county, okay? And then he said, then I want you to go to Samaria. Well, Samaria was like, like the, the northeast that Chautauqua County is in, that Jamestown is in, that our heart is in, all right? So Judea was that, was that larger area even still, right? And then Jesus is like, and then to the ends of the earth. So even Jesus was insistent that they take an organic model to first ensuring that their heart was full, that their lives were being transformed, that the Holy Spirit was, was in them and working in them, and then they were go out, to go out and to be, to be witnesses in places like where they were immediately now, and then to a larger region, and then to a larger region, and then to a larger region. The point is this. 
is that Jesus understood and used a model of increasing levels or tiers or circles, however you want to call it, for life. It wasn't just, hey, the 5,000, I got 5,000 people here, let's, let's, have them, let's have them blitz the whole area. But sometimes, and maybe primarily, the connection with the Father that was, was, was the foundation for the pouring and the sending of the three and then the twelve and the five thousand and etc. Jesus was not like a, hey, go conquer the world. Go take over the Roman government. No, it was like, instead, let the Holy Spirit fill you, then go to Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, then the ends of the earth. And pridefully, I think sometimes we, we, we want to skip the house across the road. We want to skip the house across the road. The lady that needs her, her, her sidewalk shoveled. We want to skip that and send a mission team to Mexico. That's a hard issue. Far from it even being a strategy issue, that's first a heart issue. That's a hard issue that we have. And the refrain that often comes up in our minds, right, in these times is, I'm, I'm, not, I'm just not doing enough. We're not doing enough. We're not doing enough. Because we have equated doing enough with experiencing the fruit. And there are more stages to the cultivation of Jesus-centered living in our homes and our churches and our cities than just picking the fruit and eating it. Sometimes the seed needs to be planted and cultivated. And sometimes it takes generations of people who are willing to do their part in order for fruit to be um, eaten proverbially in a different season. And the reality is this, is that, is that doing, right? I'm not doing enough. Doing always proceeds from being. Not the other way around. You must be something before you can do something. You must, you must be transformed. You must be in the process of being transformed before you can begin to offer the transformation power of the Holy Spirit to others. It's not the other way around. Being comes first. And so the question may be, rather than the statement of, I'm not doing enough, the question then for, for, the thoughtful, for the thoughtful Christian, for the one that, for, for the one that wants to say, okay, Lord, how, how would you have me be part of the, the solution to these things that I see are obvious problems? Question number one, am I being transformed? Am I being transformed? Maybe even more pointedly is this question. Do I want to be transformed? 
do I want my heart to change? Do, do I want change here? Because your yes to that question is, listen, it is the most impactful decision or step that you can make towards the fulfillment of the global mission is whether or not I want to be transformed. You have no gift. You have no resource. You have no ability that is as significant for the global mission of every man, woman, and child for Jesus than your yes to the question of, do I want to be transformed personally by the Holy Spirit of God? If you answer no to that question, it doesn't matter how gifted you are. It doesn't matter how resourceful you are. It doesn't matter how many contacts you have. If you're not willing to let the Holy Spirit of God transform your heart and change the direction of your life at every step and every breath and every thought and every word, it doesn't matter what you're offering him on the global scale. It doesn't. It's all a house of cards. It'll come tumbling down. It will. So then the question becomes, like, the, then it, it creates all kinds of introspection. This is what I want to leave you with this morning. If you, if you can come to a place of agreement with me this morning, can we put the vision back up one more time, please? If you can come to a place of agreement with me this morning that these are all valuable things. That these are all things that we, yeah, we would all want to see. We, we would want to see the, the reality of heaven come crashing down on every one of these and just see what it would do. Like, oh my gosh, I can't imagine, right? If we can stand in agreement about those things, then we must also stand in agreement with the reality of like, okay, the very first step in that process is here. It's here. All right, so you want to be a part of this solution? Here are the questions, right? Here, here, here are the questions that we ask ourselves every day. Number one. Do I recognize Jesus and Jesus alone as my Savior? Am I daily, moment by moment, relationship by relationship, situation by situation, circumstance by circumstance, day by day, am I surrendering my will Am I surrendering my heart? Am I surrendering my life to Him? Is He truly my Lord? Or am I my own Lord? Do I have a will? Or is it Jesus' will within me? Number three, am I responding? Am I responding to his call of repentance, of turning towards him in faith? 
and embracing the new life that he offers through forgiveness of sins. Essentially, am I allowing him to transform me? Am I partnering with him in the transformative work of his spirit in my heart? And then am am I regularly pursuing a relationship or relationships to and in a gospel-centered Christian community. These are questions that we call, like this, this requires a regular discipline of reflection, of introspection, and what, we, what, what I would call um, a fearless inventory of Holy Spirit in examination where I open up the book of my heart, essentially, to say, Holy Spirit, would you, would you examine every corner of who I am and, and, and every thought that I have and every desire and every, and every bit of my own will? And would you root out every, every bit of will that I have to be the Lord of my life, Lord, so that I may surrender my heart and my life to you, that I may be transformed through the power of your Holy Spirit, or that I may experience um, uh, the new life through forgiveness of sins, that I may be transformed for you. It is so much fun. It is so much fun to make, to make big plans and to start programs, right? And to create to create pathways and systems by which people who are, who are legitimately um, hurting or are hopeless or, or broken can find, can find peace and healing, can find wholeness and redemption, can find, can find a new a hope-filled future for their life or for their own heart. It is so exciting to be able to build those things and see those things and be a part of what God is doing in their life. That is exciting. It is fun. We do see it here. We are doing it here, right? We're building on a foundation that was laid before us, right? We're, we're eating the fruit of those who have gone before us, for sure. But, but there's generations to come. It's so much fun. And I will tell you, if you're going to use the metaphor of building a, building a house, right? It is so much fun to see the trim go in a house and the light fixtures and the plumbing fixtures go on, right? And to see the fresh paint on all the walls and to shut that door for the first time and to, and to live in that new space and it's so like fresh and clean and nice and it's like what, everything what you dreamed of. But I want to tell you, like, it is hard work to dig a foundation, it is hard work to lay those blocks. It's blood, it's sweat, it's tears. It takes a long time. But it is what creates the strong home. It is, it is the most indispensable, it is the most indispensable um, part of Construction is the strong foundation. And in the spiritual life of developing vision around these things or, 
or direction around these things, the foundation is the condition of my heart, the condition of your heart, our willingness to see and have Jesus transform who we are. And so if you wonder why our desire is to spend a lot of time and a lot of focus on partnering with you in the transformation of your heart, that's why. That's why. Let's have the worship team come back up and we'll spend a few moments in prayer here. So when I pray, when I pray after messages like this, you know, you could be seen as just a uh, <laughs> as a helpful way to transition from one element to the next in worship. Um, but if if you would if you would take the intentional moment to agree to agree with me in spirit as we pray, right? Especially in these moments. Right? We're not just transitioning from element to element and using prayer as the, as the thing that we do so that the team can get back up here. We're praying so that we can activate the faith that God has made available to us to do the things that we've just heard the Word move us to do. And so let's pray as a, as a measure and as an activation of the faith that is within us through Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, you have given us eyes to see, certainly. You have given us eyes to see brokenness. You have given us eyes to see the the hopelessness, the despair, the darkness that is in the world around us. It is always before us, Lord. Sometimes it is in us, and sometimes it is all around us. Lord, we thank you that we can be gathered in a room together where we can all agree that this is not a heavenly reality that we live in. But Lord, would you give us Holy Spirit imagination to see the difference that the world would be when heaven comes crashing to earth? Lord, what is your heaven reality for my home? Lord, what is your heavenly reality for my church? Lord, what is your heavenly reality for this city or this region or this world? And then, Father, like a movie scene where you zoom in from way outer space down to one individual, would you take the reality that we see for the whole world being redeemed through heaven and would you, would you zoom so far in so all we can see now, Lord, is our own face in the mirror? Lord, that we would see 
that you are calling for the transformation of our hearts. Not in a general sense, not in some like comprehensive way, Lord, but me now sitting in this room, in this place, Lord. That you are uncovering and you are revealing and you are shining a light. And you are helping me to see, Lord. You are helping us to see the unsurrendered places of our souls. I'm going to open up the the uh, prayer altar this morning. That if you're hearing the Holy Spirit speak to you about an unsurrendered unsurrendered relationship, habit, addiction, a place in which you are keeping the Holy Spirit kind of like a, at a stiff arm and you are hearing him call to you this morning to surrender to repent to seek forgiveness and to embrace new life and you can come to the altar this morning and between you and God offer with open arms and open hands that which you have been holding on to. To begin to see the reality of heaven not just touch this region, but the reality of heaven touch this heart. This mind. This soul. Holy Spirit, come. Fall upon this place, Lord. Lord, bring repentance, bring conviction. Bring surrender, Lord. Bring freedom in Jesus' name.